We're going to jump into part one in just a moment. But I do want to encourage you, in the month of October, we're going to be entering into a series called Identity. And it is going to be through the month of October, the entire month, we're going to focus on this, this series. I really encourage you to be present, if at all possible, through the entire month of October. I'd love for you to be here every week. I know that's a lot of commitment because some of you got lots of other things going on and you can't be here every week. But if possible, please be here for the entire series in October. It's one of the most important series we've done. And it's going to introduce us to a lot of things. It's going to stretch us and push us and challenge us, answer a lot of questions. And we're going to get into that series. You'll learn more about it. We'll put it on Facebook and different social media outlets uh, coming up soon. But just wanted to kind of call your attention to it in the month of October. We'll be jumping into that. But before we get there, we are in the series called Auto Response and really excited about today's material as we jump into this series. I want to begin by asking you a question. Are there specific things people do that get under your skin? Absolutely. I have a few, not many, but one possibly more than any other. This is my my confession time, all right? This is the thing that bothers me, one of the things that bothers me more than probably any other thing. It is incompetent, slow, non-engaged, poor customer service. Anybody feel that way? It's okay to admit it, all right? If something is going to go badly, especially through a drive-thru, the drink machine, you know, doesn't work or they're out of my favorite item or the person in front of me can't make up his or her mind, it's going to happen to me. The other day, I took a chance and journeyed into one of our elite drive through establishments here in Elizabeth City, and I ordered my food and my drink, and the gentleman asked me a question to clarify my order, and I answered. He repeated my food order back to me. I affirmed. And when I got to the window, he handed me my food without a drink, and he closed the window. I waited patiently. He came to the window and said, "Uh, what do you need? And I very kindly just said, I just need my drink. That's all. He said, well, you didn't order a drink. And I said, yes, I did order a drink. I ordered a combo, and it comes with a drink. I ordered a tea with, with, with my order. He said, well, when I repeated your order back to you, I didn't mention the drink, and you didn't say anything about it. And I said, but I, but I ordered a combo. It comes with a drink. He said, but when I repeated the order back, I didn't put the drink back in the order, and you didn't say anything about the drink, so I didn't think you wanted it. And I said, but I, I ordered a drink at the beginning, and when I order a combo, it comes with a drink, right? I said, if you didn't know the kind of drink I was ordering, then maybe you could have asked me at the microphone what was the drink or when, even when I got to the window. He said, look, next time when we read your order back, if we don't mention the drink, make sure you correct us back there, not at the window. He handed me the drink and closed the window. I looked long and hard. Jesus was not in my car. He left... <laughs> He jumped out at the microphone, began hitchhiking back to the church because he was not going to remain in my car with the presence of all the thoughts that were coursing through my head in that moment. I, I can't stand bad customer service. I, I don't know why it bothers me so much, but I detest it. It's my auto response. It just, it just happens. It just kind of jumps out. My kids have encouraged me. Lana reminds me, you're you're a pastor, you know, be careful. You know, I get my phone out to try to distract myself if it's really bothering me. I want to find the manager. I want to find the owner. I I, I want to hire a new group of employees in the moment. It just bugs me. Now, here's the thing, okay? It doesn't bother other people nearly as much as it bothers me. I mean, sure, 
you know, everybody prefers good customer service, but they don't want to track down the owner of the establishment and offer to retrain the entire staff because they don't know what they're doing, all right? Something inside me responds to something inside them. It's an auto response. And the truth is, I have 20 other things that bug me, bother me, and tick me off. And so do you, you little angel, all right? The struggle is, I won't tell you about the other 20 things. Many of them, I'm not even really aware they're happening. It's an auto response, and I don't really think about it. It just jumps out. It just happens. It erupts from the inside. Others, I'm too embarrassed to admit Because at my age and with my experience and in my position, I ought to be further down the road. But in some areas, I'm not. Sometimes I pull away from a drive-thru and I say, I know exactly why I'm so ticked off. That man doesn't know what he's doing. There are other times I walk away from a conversation. It's not in a drive-thru, just a conversation with someone. And I don't know why I'm upset. I, 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 I don't know why I'm triggered. I'm not really sure what was said in that conversation that angered me or caused me to want to withdraw. But something happened on the inside of me. It was an auto-response. It was something that jumped out. Some things about Scott are clear. In fact, I know many things about myself today that I didn't know 20 years ago. Many things I can write down. I can give you a list. I can share with you my weaknesses, some some strengths, some issues in my life. I'm, I'm more aware of those things today than I've ever been before. But there are a lot of things about Scott that are still murky. And there's some things about Scott, I'm still in the dark. I just don't get it. Everyone everyone look this way, okay? Listen to me very carefully. We are blind to our true identities. If you're honest, I mean really honest, and this is what I want today to be. Today's going to be an interesting uh, kickoff message to this series because I want to be as honest with you and I want you to be as honest with yourself as you possibly can be. If we are honest we will admit that there are things about us we don't get. We are a puzzle in many ways. And we're looking for solutions. We just don't understand why we act certain ways, behave certain ways, why we continue to nurse particular addictions, or why behaviors seem to be in our life that we thought we were going to be able to control when we get in our 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever, and we're still dragging those things around. And if we're super honest, we're going to be like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, one of my favorite passages. He says, we know that the law is spiritual. Watch the division he he, he makes between himself and spiritual. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm made of flesh and blood. I'm, I'm a human. I'm filled with weaknesses. I'm just flesh and blood. And I'm sold as a slave to sin. Like there's a master over me, someone controlling me. I don't, and, and I love this line, I don't know what I'm doing. You ever felt that way? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing that I hate. There's that battle. There's that the, the two people almost, it seems to be, fighting on the inside. You do some things you don't want to do, and the things you know you ought to do, you don't do. Your behavior confuses you. You think in ways and act in ways, and you do things, and you wonder, why did I do that, and what was I thinking, and I know better than that. Come on. Let's be honest. You have habits you hate, hang-ups you struggle with, sins you commit, And you come to church or you go to counseling and you buy another self-help book and you read it and you do your absolute best to figure out the puzzle. 
Make it through the maze of your character. Make it through the maze of who you are. And you don't understand it. You need clarity. You need help. You need direction. And not just for yourself. Some of you are just like, it's not me that I wonder about. It's my wife. It's my husband. Why does she act that way? Why does he get so angry over this? Why, why do my kids act that way? Why are my teenagers the way they are? How about my parents? Or maybe it's a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever. We're all on a quest to not only understand ourselves, but to understand other people. Okay? Now listen. Each one of us is a mixture of clarity and confusion. Miracles and messes. Beauty and beast. All at the same time. You cry, laugh, feel anxious, hurt, jealous, love, hate, and you can't figure out rhyme or reason. Sometimes you just shrug your shoulders and go, well, that's just me. That was my dad. That's the same way my mom was. That's just me. And it is just you. But have you ever paused long enough to ask yourself, why is this just me? Why do I think that way? Why do I behave that way? Why do I act that way? And you know what? We can't seem to control it, partly because we can't predict it. Like, if you could predict that you were going to act a certain way, then maybe you could put some you know, boundaries in place. If you could predict that this conversation was going to tick you off, if you could predict that when you go through the drive-thru, this is what's going to happen, then maybe you could prepare yourself and be ready. But we can't predict, and some of us can't predict it because we live on auto-response, autopilot. It seems as if someone else or something else is in the controls and we're unaware. And it is critical that you know yourself. Absolutely critical. In fact, I wish, I, when I was 20 years old, 21 years old, I wish I was sitting in a congregation like this and somebody got up front and even talked about these things. I never heard things like this when I was young. It wasn't until I was in my 40s that I began to even understand the importance of understanding yourself and figuring out who you are and why you think the way you do. Nobody told me that. I thought I was just unique, different really broken, really messed up, and I just couldn't figure it out. Or maybe everybody else is messed up, and I'm right, you know. It was just very confusing. But it's critical that you get to know yourself and understand why you act, why you think, why you behave the way you do. Now, you say, Scott, why is it so important that we understand ourselves? Now, let me get a little philosophical with you, a little, a little kind of abstract, but hopefully I can explain this well. Every single person, you, I'm talking about you, you and me and everybody else, wears a unique pair of glasses through which we see the world, through which we see everything. Your glasses and my glasses color our worlds. And here's what's important to know. The glasses you have on colors everything in your world. And when I enter into your world, you look through your glasses and see me. So you judge me, you size me up, you see me, you interact with me according to the lens through which you see me. That make sense? Basically, when we are around you, <laughs> you see me, us, you judge us 
our attitudes, our behaviors, our ways of thinking, everything through the glasses that were placed on you, that you put on, that were formed and shaped in your life. And most of us do not question the lenses through which we see the world because we think how I see the world is the way the world is. Because we assume the way we see the world is the right way. And we don't even realize that we're looking through these glasses and judging everybody based on the hue, the color that these glasses have. And this is so important. This is what took me so long to understand. We have little to no clue how our traumatic childhoods, our warped religions, our learning disabilities, our sexual abuse, our verbal abuse, the poor decisions we made when we were younger or the poor decisions somebody else made for us, we have no idea how all those experiences created the lens through which we see everything. Most of us are self-ignorant. And this is a problem, huge problem. Ian Cron writes this. I love this quote. I read this a few years ago and I kind of tucked it away. He says, as long as we stay in the dark about how we see the world and the wounds and beliefs that have shaped who we are, we're prisoners of our history. We'll continue, he says, going through life on autopilot, doing things that hurt and confuse ourselves and everyone around us. Eventually, we become so accustomed to making the same mistakes over and over in our lives that they lull us to sleep. We need to wake up. And one of the goals that I have for today's message and this series is to wake us up. To say some of the behaviors and some of the attitudes and some of the ways we're thinking has lulled us to sleep. And we just assume that the way we see the world is the right way. The way we interpret everything is the right way. And that the way that we judge one another is correct and the way we discount some people and push other people aside, or embrace some people. All of those things are the right way, and we don't even realize that we're looking through a particular lens. You know what's interesting? The lens through which you look, you also see Scripture that way. Every single time you open the Bible and you begin to read it, you put your pair of glasses on to read it. It, it, Say, how do you know that's true? Well, Don't you know some people who justify some crazy things and they find justification in the Bible? And you go, how in the world did you justify what you did through the Bible? Well, it's right here in the Bible. And you're going to go, that's not what that means. But they think it means that because they're looking through the lens of their own understandings, warped beliefs, crazy interpretations of things, understanding of God, on and on, and they interpret that that way because of the lens they have on. We know people around our world that are horrible to one another and justify the entire thing, believing that somehow God gives them permission to kill people or destroy families or whatever, and they'll justify the whole thing by saying God told them. It's the lens they they look through, and they see everything that way. For years, that was me. I don't mean that was me that I hurt people in the name of God. I just mean it was me that I just lived on autopilot. 
I had no clue how my childhood played a role in that, how my divorced mom and dad and remarriage and divorce again and moving around so much and the broken home and the schools that I went to and my own personality that we're going to get to in a moment. I didn't realize how all those things shaped and formed glasses. And when I got married, wow, I thought Lana was the one that was messed up. I thought she was the one that had the problems. I thought she was the one that had the issues. I thought she was the one who needed to go back and relearn how to be a better Christian. Had no idea that I wore glasses all the time and I looked at everybody through it. Now, a few of you may be wondering, what does this really have to do with God or our spiritual journey? And this is a sermon and you should be throwing out a bunch of scriptures and all those things. And I don't mean to discount that or make fun of that. I just know how it is when you're in church and you expect that. I get it. So let me, let me help you. There is no true theology. So what is theology? Theology is the study of God. There is no true theology. There is no true study of God without a study of ourselves. Our knowledge of God will never rise higher than our knowledge of ourselves. Knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves are linked. Say, why is that? Because of just what I said. If we don't understand that we have these glasses on, we will interpret God certain ways. We will interpret Scripture certain ways. We will interpret a lot of things in bizarre ways, not even realizing that we're defining God based on how we see things, not how it actually is. So here's the reason you can't do theology until you understand yourself. Because you can't understand God without humility. And a knowledge of self brings humility. Because when you really understand yourself, you know what you say? Wow, I'm a lot more messed up than I thought. When you really understand yourself, you'll say, wow, my childhood really does play a role in the way I see Scripture and the way I see other people and the way I treat people. Wow, I didn't even realize that I actually have a streak of racism in me. I didn't even realize I was so selfish. I had no idea that I actually have a wrong interpretation of that passage of Scripture. But when you begin to see the glasses you wear and you begin to see the, the issues of your own life and you begin to see the problems that are in your own life, you start having an attitude of, God, my hands are open, my knees are bent, teach me truth, show me what's real, help me understand who I really am, teach me who I am. Let me just give you this illustration, okay? This, this, this is not in my notes and I don't say that for any kind of humor. I'm just saying this is not my notes. Didn't even tell the first, uh, uh, first service this, so you guys obviously need more help, and that's why God's dropped this, this in me right now, okay? All right, Peter, if you know anything about my, my preaching and teaching, I, you know, disciple, I just seem to, I seem to be closest to his Peter because he puts his foot in his mouth a lot. Peter, the disciple, really thought he understood himself. He thought he understood his strengths, He thought he was stronger than he actually was. He thought he would never deny Christ. He thought, I will always be with you. No matter what all the other disciples do, no matter what everybody else does, I will be there for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, this is my words, not Christ's, but this is the gist of it. Peter, you don't even understand your own weaknesses. 
Oh, yes, I do, Jesus. I will always be with you. Peter, you, you don't even understand. You're not as strong as you think you are. Oh, yes, I am, Jesus. Everybody else might walk away, but not me. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you realize that before sunrise tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times? And Peter's shocked at that. Why? Because Peter did not understand himself. He thought he was stronger than he was. He thought he had more going on than he did. He thought he had things figured out, and he didn't. And it took Christ revealing the weaknesses in Peter's life, and it took Peter falling flat on his face and going out and weeping bitterly before Peter has an attitude of humility. Does that make sense? should have said that in the first service. That would have clicked a whole lot better than what I actually said. That's the issue we have. We think we know ourselves, and we don't. And it has taken a long time in my life. I'll be 52. I know, shocking. I'll be 52 in a month or so. I'm in my 50s before I realize just how messed up I am. Just how backwards I am. Just how upside down the way I think is. I'm in my 50s before I actually think that I've gotten to a place that maybe I'm finally a little bit more like this than this. I'm a little bit more going, okay, God, my ears are open, my heart's open, teach me, show me, rather than going, I know so much and all these poor people need to know what I know. Aren't you tired of that? God, help us. So humility, you've got to have humility to understand God. Without it, you'll never understand him. Thomas Merton, he says this. He said, before we can become who we really are, we must become conscious of the fact that the person who we think we are, here and now, is at best an imposture and a stranger. But that'll knock you down a few notches, won't it? Before you ever understand who you are, you're going to have to come to the place where you realize that who you think you are, you're actually faking. Say, well, that's not fair. Come on. We're imposters in a lot of ways. We are strangers to ourselves and one another. The sooner you see this and accept it, the sooner you will understand yourself and God. Can I give you another illustration? Doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to give you another illustration. Two people come into the church. Jesus tells the story. I didn't tell the first service this either. It's all clicking now. Two people come into a church service, modernizing what Jesus tells. He talks about a temple. One seems to have life figured out. One has life all messed up. The religious guy comes in and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like, and he looks over here at the sinner, the one who's really messed up, and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. I fast, I tithe, I pray, I go to church. I just want to say thank you that I'm not like this man. The other man whose life is messed up, it says he just beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one goes home justified? You see, the man who thought he had life figured out didn't really know himself. He thought he had it all figured out. No, 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 no. He was ignorant. That's what I'm talking about. So 
I want to help, help us, and this is going to open up our minds in, in, in a way, and I hope I can be clear with this. How many of you ever heard of the Enneagram? Some of you have. Great. If you haven't, I want to introduce it to you. This is something that came into my life a few years ago and opened me up to just understanding the way that I'm wired and the way that I'm put together. You fit, every single person fits into one of these nine personality types. It matters little if you agree or disagree. It matters little if you think graphs like this are bunk. Typically, those who think graphs like this are not really helpful is because they have a particular personality within the graph, and it causes them to think that way. Okay, that, that's just what I found. It matters little if you think this is anti-spiritual. It, it isn't. It's eye-opening to how we're wired and put together. The reality is you and I and our weird uncles and strange spouses and husbands and wives and kids, we're somewhere on this gram. I'm there, you're there. Each one of these is assigned a number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And discovering where you fit, understanding what makes you tick, how you think the way you do and why you think the way you do, I'm telling you it will answer a lot of questions. It relieves a lot of pressure. It eliminates a lot of stress. You say, how is that? Because you cease to be so mysterious. You see, a lot of us think we're so mysterious. I know I did for a long time. I thought I was so different than everybody else. Nobody's like me. I think a certain way and believe certain things, and I'm so different, and I'm so unique. And I realized after I got into this and started realizing there's a lot of other people in this world who are just like me, I'm not so mysterious after all. Actually, I'm quite predictable. You know what that causes? Humility. Because you, you stop believing that you're some unique, different, mysterious person. Nobody can figure you out. Nobody understands you. You know, I don't know what, nobody understands, nobody gets me. That's not true. A lot of people get you and understand you. In fact, there are millions of people around this world who think very similar to you. You're not so mysterious after all. In fact, you're quite predictable. In fact, I could tell you, based on your personality type, what you think about this message. And that aggravates us because we like to be unique and different. Humility says no, no. Hundreds of years of research and compiling and analyzing behaviors and motives and watching personalities of hundreds of thousands of people are able to help us predict some behaviors and ways of thinking with precision. And when you discover your number, a deep sense of humility overcomes you. So I want to help you, okay? I want, to, I want you to look around the room. I'm not going to ask you to say your name to anybody. I'm not going to ask you to introduce yourself. You're not going to have to stand up and say where you're from. Just look around the room. Just look around the room. Just notice some people sitting around you, not just your family, some other people. Okay? Here's why. Every single person you see in this room, everybody watching online, we're all trying to hustle one another. What does that mean? We're all trying to present an image to other people that isn't actually true. Because we're afraid that if other people know who we actually are, they won't like us. So we try to hustle people by avoiding what's true about ourselves and faking it until we make it, give people the impression we're better than we actually are. And you know what the Enneagram does? And other things like this, it exposes our hustle. It says, <laughs> you're not actually fine. 
here's an issue, here's an issue, here's an issue. And you're like, it's like they lift the curtain in your life and kind of reveal what's behind the scenes. And then you go, well, that's not fair. I thought I was so unique. Well, you're not that unique. So here's what I want to do for the balance of this message, all right? I'm going to give you something very unique. I promise most of you have never had a sermon like this, ever presented to you like this in your life. All right? What I want to do is I just want to run, because this is just kind of opening up the series. I just want to run through these nine personality types real quick. I'm not going to get into the detail. I just want to familiarize yourself with these nine types. And hopefully this is going to cause some of you to go home and you're going to take the test and then you're going to have discussions about how your, what your number is and what your number is and how you guys' personalities all come together. And then I'm going to do something a little different in this. I'm going to concentrate and focus on the secret sin of each personality. Because you know what's interesting about us? Every one of us have a particular personality, and every one of our personalities have a particular area that if we're not careful, we'll fall into that particular trap. And I want to call that out. Because you shall know the truth, and it's the truth that shall set you free. All right, let's just go quickly through this, okay? We won't spend a lot of time. We don't have that much time, but I just want to give them to you to open up your mind. The first one out of the nine is called the reformer. Some of you are reformers in this place. You are number one on the Enneagram. Here's how you know a reformer, all right? Other than taking the test, here's what you'll know. Some of you know that you've taken the test and you know you're a one or you know somebody else is. Typically, type ones are ethical and dedicated and reliable. They are motivated by a desire to live the right way, to improve improve the world, and to avoid fault and blame. You're like, well, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. All these personality types are wonderful and beautiful, and God made us in all this myriad of ways, and we have all these different colors and shades. Absolutely true. Their deepest need is the need to be perfect. Here's the problem. They have a secret sin that if you're not careful, they'll fall into. And without the gospel... They fall into it often. It's the secret sin of anger. You see, ones tend to become irritated and judgmental at the incompetence of other people. They are quick to pick apart the wrongdoings of others. In fact, they can see other people's mistakes a long way off. When they enter into an argument, they want the final say. And they will project their anger onto other people, leaving the other person confused in their wake. When ones are healthy, they change the world. When ones are unhealthy, they are hard to live with. Number two. You like my shoes? I like my shoes. Number two is the helper. The helper. Oh, man, I love helpers. Number twos. I know some number twos. They are warm and caring and giving. They are motivated, motivated by a need to be loved and needed and to avoid acknowledging their own needs. Wow, we need some more people like that, right? Their deepest need is a need to be needed. So you know what their secret sin is if they're not careful? Pride. Say pride from a helper? Pride from someone who serves all the time? Yes, because, see, twos tend to take credit for all the relationships in their lives. They actually believe that it's because they're so nice and they serve people well that other people love them. They, they want to please people so much that they overcompensate to meet other people's needs. The challenge is 
they tend to develop a martyr complex. Look at all the things I do for people. They never seem to do those things for me. Now, they're helping, but behind the scenes, they're upset because other people don't serve them as passionately as they serve others. And only the gospel can fix that. Number three, oh, I love this one, the achiever. Another word for that is the perfectionist. Excuse me, the performer. That's number one, perfectionist. The performer. Here's why this one's fun. They are success-oriented. They are image-conscious. They are wired for productivity. They are motivated by a need to be or at least appear to be successful, and they want to avoid failure at all times. Their deepest need is they need to succeed. You know what their sin is? Self-deceit. You see, threes will wear themselves out through work and socialization. They could be feeling horrible, but they will plaster a smile on and hide their true feelings. They are quick to deny the truth about themselves, and they will fool themselves into believing that they're actually fine. They will do anything to convince other people they are thriving. They absolutely love social media because it's on social media that they can project an image that everything's great. But behind the scenes, they're hurting. No, 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 you'll not know that. And even if they do tell you they're hurting on social media, even that in and of itself is a hustle to try to get you to really pay attention to them. That's the secret sin. They like the highlight reels. Number four, the individualist, the romantic. They're creative and sensitive and moody. They're motivated by a need to be understood and experience their oversized feelings and avoid being ordinary. Fours are the ones who love to dye their hair different colors and they love interesting clothing and odd music and movies that nobody else has seen. And then when they hear a song and it moves them, they want to call it. Did you hear that song? You've got to hear this song. And when you hear the song, they then want to know if you felt the same things they felt when they heard the song because they just love all the feelings and they love to just bathe in the emotion and the experience of all things. Their deepest need is to be special. They want to be special. Their sin is envy because they're always comparing themselves to other people and they want to be different. They don't want to be like that person and like that person. They love to be unique. They love to be different. That's why it often turns into things on the outside because when I walk in a room, I want you to look at me and go, that person's different. I like that. I want to be different. And they always fight a critical inner side, inner person who says you're not enough. You're not special enough. you got to do something else to be special. Only the gospel can change that and make them healthy. Number five, this is me. I'm an investigator. This is how I am, calling my sins out here. I analytical and detached and private. Fives are motivated by a need to gain knowledge and conserve energy and avoid relying on other people. See, I want to know enough that I don't need you. I want to learn enough that I never need to come to you for help because I already know it. You know how you know that? You come to my office and all these books that are there and everybody thinks, oh, wow, look at all those books. That's because I'm a five and I love to collect and collect and collect and collect and be the one who has the information and the knowledge. Do you see how that can cause problems? You know what the sin that I struggle with? Greed. Greed. Not not greed for money. 
It's greed for energy and ideas and love. See, I'm only going to give you a little bit, just, just, just a little bit, just, just a little bit, because I'm, I'm hoarding and, and I'm collecting, and I'm going to give you a little bit of myself but not too much because I'll be tired at the end. I'm going to give you a little of information but not all of information because I've got to have the information that you don't have. Someone came up to me at the end of the first service and said, it sounds like the fives are kind of like Gollum. You know, my, my precious, my precious, right? If you know that, the movie, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. We, we fives, we tend to withdraw in isolation and reclusiveness. We avoid others, sometimes for weeks. We can quit social media, drop of a hat. Forget it all. I don't need any of you people. I am elite. I'm better. I'm, I'm, I'm smarter. You see how pride can slip into all that? Number six, the loyalist. Committed and practical and witty. They are worst case scenario thinkers, though. They're motivated by fear and a need for security. Their deepest need is the need for security. Their secret sin, fear. They're always afraid bad things are going to happen. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. And it's not falling. Well, it will fall soon. Just hang on. Bad things are going to happen. I promise you they will happen. In fact, I can tell you 10 other people that bad things have happened to them this week, and I'm probably going to be the 11th person. Bad things are going to happen. Fear. Number seven is the enthusiast. Ah, I love sevens. Sevens are party or sevens want experience. Sevens are always wanting the thrill of life. In fact, they will take chances just to experience the rush of emotions that come from this ride or that ride or this experience or that experience. They're spontaneous and adventurous. They're motivated by a need to be happy, they, 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 to plan stimulating experiences and avoid pain. They hate pain. They don't want to deal with deep things. They don't want to talk about their childhood. They don't want to talk about how the, why the divorce happened. They don't want to talk about the issues that went on earlier. They, they, no, 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 just get a pass me something else to drink. Take me to another party. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go somewhere else. You know what their sin is? Gluttony. Give me more, 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 give me more. And they will often fall into drugs and alcohol at excessive amounts because they're trying their best to numb themselves to reality. Number eight, the challenger. Man, the challengers. These are the guys that, and girls that often will be CEOs and business owners. Some of them are presidents. Some of them have started huge companies. You know why? Because they're the challenger. They challenge everything. They know how to do it, not you. They know how to do it. They can do it better than you can. If you'll just give them a shot, give them the steering wheel, they'll drive you somewhere you've never been before. They're often forceful when they deal with other people. They are adopt black and white thinking. There's no gray areas. It's this way or this way. They possess a superiority complex. They give others rigid requests and ultimatums. Either you do it this way or get out. That's an eight. It's a challenger. They are blindsided to sympathy and empathy. Sympathy. You ain't got no time for crying. <laughs> what are we crying about? There's no crying in baseball, right? Remember that line? There's no crying in baseball. What are you doing? We got a game to play. We got things to do. Come on, snap out of the emotion. Their secret sin is lust. Not sexual lust, but an addiction to intensity. Come on, let's go. Let's take the world and change it. The last one, the peacemaker. Peacemakers are interesting. 
They're pleasant and laid back and accommodating. They're motivated by a need to keep the peace. I just want everybody to get along. Can we all just get along? Come on. Come on. Why do, why do we have to fight and argue all the time? Let's just get along, all right? Well, I know, but I, I, I know you're right and you, you think you're right, but let's just, let's just all get along, okay? And, and the goal is to keep themselves at peace. They want other people to merge together. Let's just avoid conflict. Let's not even talk about who's right or who's wrong. Let's just all get together and let's just love one another. Their deepest need is a need to avoid. <laughs> and their sin, very interesting, sloth. It's just a lack of energy. Come on, guys. It's just, it's really not that big of a deal, is it? I mean, come on. They struggle with chronic procrastination. Lethargy and inactivity. They possess an indifferent outlook toward life. They repress anger and frustration. They don't want to deal with these things. <sighs> Folks, you fit somewhere. I fit somewhere. You're not as mysterious as you think. You're much more predictable than you ever realized. And when you come to the understanding of who you are and how you're wired and how your wife and how your kids, in my home, we often will go, oh, now that, that's a one. See, Lana's a one. Lana's a one. I'm a five. Very interesting. Evan, my son, he's a four. Ashton, my daughter, is a six. Cameron's an eight. And we, we actually process that and see how we think and behave and act, and it just helps so much. So much. When you figure out how you fit, Questions about yourself get answered and confusion begins to clear up and you start to see yourself and other people as not being nearly as mysterious. And So where do we go from here, Scott? One more verse. We're going to close. I love this from the message. Psalm 139. Oh, yes, God. You shape me first inside, then out. You form me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, your breathtaking body and soul. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something like an open book. You watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you, the days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. God formed you. He formed me. He sculpted you. He sculpted me. He chiseled you. He chiseled me. You are marvelously made. You are fashioned and molded into the person you are. And the more you understand how you're put together, the more you'll understand some of your auto-responses. And the more you understand yourself, the more you'll understand why you act and think and behave the way you do, and the more you will understand your sins. Your attitudes, your temptations, your pet peeves, your desires, your lusts, your cravings. Not so that you can justify it, but so that you can understand it and drag it to Jesus and say, this is how I am. Change and mold and make me into more like you. And then maybe, 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 maybe. When you understand yourself and God more, 
Jesus will stay in the car with you the next time you go through a drive through <laughs> All right? Let's pray. Father, here we are. Here we are with all of our personalities and all of our quirks. Here we are with all of our idiosyncrasies, all of our temptations and lusts. We're calling them out, God, because I just cannot stand anybody judging somebody else as if they don't have their own sins. I'm a five. I'm I'm not an eight. I don't think like an eight. But eights struggle with things that fives don't. Fives struggle with things eights don't. We're all intricately made and different, and we're different hues and colors and education and roads that brought us to where we are, and we're shaped and formed in unique ways. God, help us to be humble about it all and realize that we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses, we have our beauties and we have our ugliness, and help us to live a life of humility with our hands stretched out and open and our knees bent in humility. And say, God, teach us who we are so that we might know you better and that we might love you and love other people better. We ask these things in the one who made us, Jesus. Amen.